I'm going to invite you to stand for the reading of the word, or if you're already standing, uh, continue to stand. We're in Romans chapter 12. I'm going to begin reading there in verse 3. I want you to hear the word of the Lord for today. Romans 12, verse 3, Paul writes, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. May God bless the reading of his word today. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these words this morning. Lord, as we approach your word today, we believe it is living, it's active. Lord God, we believe today that you desire to speak to your people, and so we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would do something in this moment that would change us, that would mark us. Lord, we don't want to walk out of here the same way we walked in. And so, Lord, we give you permission, Holy Spirit, to challenge us, to change us, to shape us. Lord, we thank you for what you're doing in each of our lives. We thank you for what you're doing in your church. We recognize, Lord, it's by the power of your Holy Spirit that you change us and you shape us and you use us. And so we give you permission this morning, Lord, to, to do what you desire to do. We give you thanks. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Can we just give this worship team uh, our gratitude for serving us in this way? Amen. Well, I want to encourage you to pull out a note sheet. Hopefully you got one as you uh, came through the door. As we go through the book of Romans, I, I've just been really uh, felt like I, I want to encourage you to write things down, Okay. Uh, it's one thing to come to church on a Sunday morning and leave feeling encouraged. It's another thing to leave with something that, that you can act on, okay? Scripture says we're not only to be hearers of the word, but we're to be doers of the word, amen? And so I encourage you, uh, take some notes. You know the drill. If you don't have a pen, look for the lady in your row with the biggest purse. She's got like 10 of them. She can share, right? Um, but we're in, in the last section of the book of Romans. It's a section that goes all the way from chapter 12 to chapter 16. And uh, I shared with you last week that as we get into chapter 12, this is the place where some deep theology of the Apostle Paul, because we've had some, some very profound theological truths uh, taught to us, but this is the place where those truths become practical, okay? This is where uh, Jesus begins to exhort the church on how to live. And so we're not going to rush through these last four chapters of Romans. We're going to uh, take our, our time because I want you to take these things and, again, incorporate them into your life. And so last week we got through just two verses, right? Two verses. But if you remember, Paul began uh, the section by appealing to us, based on the mercies of God, to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. I go through a, a daily devotional with my son as we drive to school. He reads while... Well, I drive, um, 
but there's a, a devotional, maybe you've heard of it, called My Utmost for His Highest, Oswald Chambers. The amazing thing is it's actually now all online. If You don't have to buy the book anymore. You can just go to uh, utmost.org and myutmost.org, and it comes up every morning. And so Monday morning, uh, we pulled up that devotional, and this was after I spoke on being a living sacrifice. The title of the devotional is this, Is My Sacrifice Living? And I was like, okay, Lord, I hear you. But I want to read some of what, what Oswald wrote in that, that devotional. He says this, It is of no value to, to God to give him your life for death. He wants you to be a living sacrifice, to let him have all of your strengths that have been saved and sanctified through Jesus. This is what is acceptable to God. Think about that. All of our, our, our strengths that have been saved, they've been redeemed, but they've also uh, been sanctified. Now we give them back to the Lord. That is our acceptable act of worship to God. And so again, our response to God's mercies in our lives is to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. I talked practically about what that looks like last week. It means taking the hands that you used to use to sin now, saying now these are going to be used to serve God taking the feet that used to walk into places of temptation, right, and now walking onto the mission field and allowing God to use those feet to spread the good news. There are so many ways now that we can take what God has done in our lives and turn it back to him as praise. And now the encouragement, again, was do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Don't be conformed to the schematic or the blueprint of this world, but instead be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And when that happens, you'll be able to discern what is the will of God. You'll be able to discern what is good and acceptable and perfect. And now in our text for this morning, Paul is going to begin to talk about how we should exercise spiritual gifts in the body of Christ. And these two things are not separate. They're connected, okay? As we present our bodies as living sacrifices, as we give him our lives, he desires to use the gifts that he's imparted to us by his Holy Spirit to grow his church. Very simply, spiritual gifts are this. They are the ability that God gives to believers for service in the church, the body of Christ. They are spiritual gifts, or they are gifts that operate in the realm or the sphere of the Holy Spirit. And, and so the source of every spiritual gift is God himself. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that the spiritual gift is always an ability to do something supernatural. Some of the gifts are, are natural abilities that are heightened, or I could say directed by the Holy Spirit. The ability, though, is from God to do the work of God. But before Paul speaks about spiritual gifts, he gives a warning in regards to pride. Look at verse 3 there. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought. He begins by saying, listen, don't think too highly of yourself, okay? Now, that's an interesting way to begin this section on spiritual gifts, right? And you can wonder, why would he start off talking like this, right? Don't think too highly of yourself. Because we need, I believe, to have the proper assessment of who we are and who God's called us to be in order to be used effectively in the body of Christ. Because if I don't have a proper assessment of who I am, if I don't understand what God has called me to do, I may be expecting him to do things through my life that he has not ordained for me to do. And so when we talk about this idea of spiritual giftings, guys, we need to approach them with great humility. And understand humility is not thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought, but it's also not thinking more lowly of ourselves than we ought. Because if I think too lowly of myself, 
I'm probably not going to expect the Lord to do anything through my life, right? I, I won't be living this life of faith and expectation that God is going to use me. And so this whole area of spiritual gifts is an area where we can be puffed up, right? If we feel like we have a superior gift, look at me, I'm, this is who I am and God's made me this way. Or it's an area where we can feel less than when we look at somebody else's gift. Sometimes we think, am I even contributing to the church at all? And so Paul makes it clear that what he's sharing here, first of all, it comes from the grace of God that he has received, okay? It, it's not from within himself. It's not because he's somehow superior. He understands that all credit for anything that God does through him, it all goes back to God's grace. And so that is exactly why Paul tells us, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to. Because everything that we've received, understand our intellect, our abilities, even the teaching and the knowledge that we've received, it's all a gift from God. And when you can acknowledge that, it's, it's a humbling thing to realize, right? To realize that if, if God stepped back from our lives for even a moment, we would cease to exist. In another one of his letters in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, Paul asks, he says, do we have anything that we did not receive from Christ? And of course the answer is no, right? Everything that we have, it all comes from God. And listen, if we can keep that in mind, it will keep us humble, okay? And so because of what Paul is writing here, I think one of the things that we need to ask ourselves and we need to ask of the Lord is, God, what have you given me the faith to do? What have you given me the grace to do? What have you called me to do? Because again, he's gonna talk about spiritual gifts in just a moment. He's gonna talk about all of the different things that the members of the body of Christ are given to do. But the fact that they are spiritual gifts, again, means they come from the Holy Spirit. They're, they're not from us, right? And so there should be no pride over what he's called us to do. And then he inserts this very necessary conjunction. It's the word but, right? So don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to, but Think with sober judgment. Think with sound judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. If we understand that humility is this proper assessment of what God has done and, and who he's called us to be, then we understand that, that Paul's not telling us to have this attitude that, that finds pleasure in humiliation. That's not what he's saying. He's saying instead, think rightly. Think with sober judgment. The idea is we should see the truth about ourselves and we should live in the light of that truth. And can I just say, if we see the truth about who we really are, I have to tell you, that will always keep us from pride, okay? God has given to each and every one of us, as believers, he's given a certain measure of faith. Hear me, I believe that even our, our saving faith is a gift from God, right? And, and even in our salvation, we have no place for pride. We have no place for, for boasting. I want you to know this morning that Spiritual giftedness, though when we talk about the gifts, spiritual giftedness does not equal spiritual maturity, okay? Spiritual giftedness does not automatically equal spiritual maturity. Just because a person has a substantial spiritual gift does not necessarily mean they are spiritually mature or a worthy example to follow. And so we need to be careful not to elevate a gifting without maturity, right? And individually, we should say, Lord, don't uh, just highlight gifts in my life, but give me the maturity to handle those gifts, amen? And, and so Paul's gonna talk about God's design for the church here, and I love it, it's beautiful. It, but he wants to let us know that God has given different gifts to different members in the church. And so if we are all surrendering our bodies as living sacrifices, then what does that look like within the body of believers? Verse four, 
He says, for in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. He's saying the hand doesn't have the same function as the foot. The eye doesn't have the same function as the ear, right? And he says, so we, in other words, in the same way, though we are many, are one body in Christ and individually members of another. A couple things you need to see here. Write these down. First is the fact that we have one body with many members, okay? So Grace point is one body, many members. And so you could say this, that the church is called to be a unified whole. We are one body, and yet within that body, there are distinct members. And, and that's the beauty of the church. I love it. That's the beauty of the body of Christ, that there is unity in the body, but there is not uniformity. There's unity in the body, but there's not uniformity. Because if, if the reason that we're unified is just because we all look exactly the same and we think all the same, how, like, how boring would that be, right? And, and if there was diversity or if there was a diversity of gifts but there was no unified purpose, just think how chaotic that would be, right? Everybody's doing whatever they think they should do. And so Paul describes the church, I love this, as a body with many members. He goes into more detail if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 on that, right? You, you know, that's, that's the beauty of the church. Again, many different members, many different roles, and we all make up one body. You know, there are some denominations that will focus on certain gifts, and this is the gift, and you've got to get this gift. And even Paul says there are some that are more of a benefit, obviously, to the church, but every one of them is needed. But the beauty of the church is that we are all unique and God takes and he divides the gifts among the members of the church according uh, to how he sees fit, right? In that passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul asks some really good questions. He says, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be, right? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? And he, and he says, but, but God arranged the members in the body, each and every one, just as he chose them. We as a church, at Grace Point, we need the variety of gifts in order to function as the body in the fullness of what God intends. And, and when we understand that, that there's this beauty that takes place, there is this interdependency that comes out of the diversity of gifts, we recognize we need each other. And then when we recognize that he's given us these gifts, we also know this, that it's the same spirit moving through each and every one of us, just in different ways, to bring about the purpose that he intends. And so because of this, Paul exhorts us to use the gifts that God has granted to each one of us. And he's going to tell us how we're going to do that in just a moment. Now, here's what I found in, in a lot of smaller churches. I, I think there's this, this greater expectation for the pastor to do like absolutely everything. My father came here back in 1977. Uh, church was about 100 people and he did, oh, everything. He, he not only preached on a Sunday, he would print the bulletins, he would type them out. I mean, he was a, a one-man show. He would pull weeds as he walked down the park. He still did that to the last, his last days. He served in that way. But there was a sense, okay, pastor, you can, you can do it all. But I'm thankful, can I just personally, I'm thankful that's not the case anymore as we've grown. Uh, we've, we've added more staff and there's different people carrying out different roles, right? And, and when we understand that there's this beauty to that, um, but, but the reality is, is this, I have to say that does not mean that the congregation just sits back and, and receives from anybody who's, who's paid staff, right, or works full time, because this is not what Paul was describing. 
What he's describing is a church where everyone sees themselves as a minister of one gift or another. Again, Paul says these gifts differ according to the grace given to us. The distribution of of spiritual gifts is due to the grace given to us. Like salvation, hear me, spiritual gifts are not given on the basis of merit. They're not given because we've earned them, but because God chooses to give them. And so again, the exhortation is take the gift that you've been given and use it. You know, so often people say to me, well, I don't know what my spiritual gift is, but I believe that we discover our gift by stepping out. And when there's a need, we step in and we fill it, and all of a sudden we realize, man, there is just this this spiritual wind, if you will, beneath our wings to do what God calls us to do. When we step out in faith and God uses us, there is this sense, man, I'm just doing what God created me to do. However, that does not mean, hear me, that doesn't mean that our spiritual gifting comes easy. It's not always easy to function in our spiritual gifts. Don't think you can discover your spiritual gift by the path of least resistance, right? If functioning in your spiritual gift was was always easy, it would not require us to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, right? And so to function in our spiritual gifts, to use those spiritual gifts, Sometimes we need to set aside our own personal agendas, right? And we say, God, you use me how you will to strengthen your church. But when we discover our spiritual gifts, I want to say this, we need to look for opportunities to use them. Now, Paul begins to list some spiritual gifts here in Romans chapter 12. This is not an exhaustive list of spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, 1 Peter chapter 4 tells us more about spiritual gifts and lists more. But the first spiritual gift that Paul mentions here is the gift of prophecy. And the exhortation is, hey, if this is your gift, if you have the gift of prophecy, use it in proportion to your faith. Now, within the church as a whole, a larger church today, there are some that don't even believe you can have a prophetic gifting. There are some that will say, well, there's no need for prophecy today because the Bible's already been written, it's completed, and so we don't need that gifting of the Spirit uh, in that way any longer. Listen, I, I trust you know how I feel about the Word of God, okay? I, I teach through it line by line because I, I believe that the Bible is the complete revelation of God. It's written, it, it's done, okay? But I also believe this, that the gift of prophecy is still at work within the church, And here's the distinction I would make. In the Old Testament, there was the office of the prophet, whereas now we don't have the office of the prophet, but rather we have the gift of prophecy, okay? Now, you might ask, well, what's the distinction? Well, in the Old Testament, the prophets had the authority to speak the very words of God. Because they held the office of prophet, their words were unquestioned unless someone claimed to be a prophet and they predicted something in the future that didn't come to pass. In that case, they were stoned, okay, for presuming the office for themselves. For those that use the title of prophet today, I have to ask, are you willing to be stoned if you're wrong, okay? But I believe this, under the new covenant, prophecy is still at work, and it is for the building up of the church. However, now when someone speaks a word of prophecy, a word they believe to be inspired by the Spirit of God, then others can judge and see if that, what they say aligns with the word of God, right? First rule, prophecy. If a word is spoken, does it align with God's word? Now, now some think prophecy is, is all about telling the future, right? It's kind of like fortune telling, but sanctified, okay? 
But really, prophecy is about God speaking to his people, okay? That's what it is. And, and again, I believe that he still does that today. I, I believe that as we're in worship, maybe the Spirit of God can just place a word on your heart for someone in the room. And you can just go up to that person and just say, I feel like God's speaking this. I, I want to give you this passage of Scripture. If God lays something on your heart and you go over to someone else, you could just say, you know what? I just feel like God's giving me this message for you. He just laid this on my heart. Can I share this with you? That is prophecy. I would say prophecy is not really foretelling. It's more forthtelling the, the heart and the mind of God. And of course, we see prophecy in Scripture. It's kind of this big understanding of beginning to end, right? We see the prophets speaking things as if they've already happened. But I want to encourage you today, church, don't limit prophecy just to that because, it, again, it could be as simple as being led by God to say something to someone else. When God gives you a word for someone, it's as simple as saying, you know what, again, I was just praying, and as I was praying, I felt like God just wants me to share this with you. But it's important that you see the function of prophecy within the church today. It is always along the lines of encouragement and exhortation. It is for the building up of the body. If you remember in the book of Acts, we were there, it seems like a long time ago now, but the believers are gathered together, they're in Antioch, they're worshiping, they're praying. God moves uh, upon someone who has a prophetic gift, right? And he speaks over Paul and Barnabas and says, hey, you've been set apart for the ministry. And it's because of that that they laid their hands on Paul and Barnabas and they sent them out. It's because of that prophetic gifting at work in the church that we had the stories that are written in the book of Acts. You see, it starts with someone just saying, you know what, again, I have, I have a word from, that, that I believe God wants me to share with you. Now, does that mean, here's the big question, does that mean people can't abuse the gift of prophecy? Well, of course they can. But I would say people can abuse anything. <laughs> and so what, are we just gonna stop everything because there's a chance that someone might abuse it, right? My father always used to say, I'd rather have a little wildfire than no fire at all, right? <laughs> And I would say this, I don't know for myself that I necessarily have the gift of prophecy, but there are times in, in conversations with individuals when the Holy Spirit will just lay something on my heart for that person, and, and I will never say, thus says the Lord, but I will say, I just believe that God's speaking this right now. You take it, and you take it to prayer, right? You see, again, one of the major differences with the gift of prophecy today is that now we all as believers have the Holy Spirit poured out upon us, right? And so therefore, we should be able to discern by the Holy Spirit whether that gift is being used by the leading of the Holy Spirit or whether somebody's just speaking from their own thoughts, right? Again, the purpose of the gift of prophecy is to exhort, it's to encourage, it's to build up the church. But hear me, when we talk about the prophetic, I, I believe this, God will never speak contrary to his word, first of all. And, and he's not likely going to speak a word to someone else that he hasn't already spoken to you. And so usually when that prophetic gift is at work, it just becomes a confirmation of what God is already speaking. Does that make sense? And so, so often somebody will share something and say, I, I know, <laughs> God's already speaking to me that way. I've had people from time to time come up and, and say, well, you know, I got a word for you. I got a prophetic word for you. And, and they'll speak it. And I'll say, well, thank you. I'll, I'll take that to the Lord. I'll take it to the Lord in prayer. And maybe in that moment, there's like no witness to my spirit that this is really anything. And I'll pray on it. And that thing never comes to pass. I got to tell you, I don't go and hunt down that person. I don't go and find them as a, you, you false prophet, you know? No, they tried. And, and maybe that it, 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 what didn't 
hit the mark, right? But that does not mean that the prophetic gifting is not genuine. And so again, Paul says, if you have this gift of prophecy, then use it, and use it in proportion to your faith. He goes on to describe the next spiritual gift, and I think it's interesting, the order, because the next spiritual gift is service. He says, if your spiritual gift is service, do it in your serving. Now, Greek authors, when they would write, they would usually start with the most important thing, and then they would move down the list to the least important thing. I don't think Paul's doing that here, because he uses a different order somewhere else, okay? And yet I I do find it interesting that this gift of prophecy, which we all think, man, that's amazing. If I could prophesy, wow, that'd be be great, right? That we think, we, we all look at. But listen, it's immediately followed by the gift of service. Now, we know that Jesus exalted serving. He said that was what he came to do. He came to serve. He served in very practical ways. He served by teaching. He served by washing his disciples' feet. He served by healing and the casting out of demons. He served you and I by laying down his life upon a cross. And so I believe this, that we are never more like Christ than when we serve. Now, the word that he uses for service or serving is the word that we translate deacon, okay? And so I want you to understand today what a deacon is because our church culture has kind of distorted what the word even means. A deacon was never someone who ran the church ever in the Bible. We've done that through church history. You've probably heard some horror stories of deacons and deacon boards that just kind of rule with an iron fist. Can I just say I'm so thankful for the deacon board here at the church? because they're, they're constantly looking for ways to serve, especially our deacon trustee board. These are individuals that are not looking for power, they're not looking for a position, they're not looking for a title. They just say, we want to serve the church and we want to see God's work go forward. So what is a deacon? Well, a good deacon is someone who's ready to pick up a broom. A good deacon is someone who's, who's ready to, to stack chairs and put on an apron. A good deacon is ready to go and grab a plunger when the toilet is backed up, right? Or maybe deliver a meal to someone who's in need. Again, the word deacon, it means servant. Paul's saying, if you're gifted to serve, then serve. And can I just say, if your gift is to serve, you will find joy in serving. I I grew up in the church. Many of you know that. A pastor's kid. I'm theological offspring. And so I grew up in the church kind of behind the scenes serving. I, I never wanted to be up on stage. God and I had a deal. I'll do anything you want me to do. Just don't put me in front of people and make me speak because I can't do that. <laughs> and so I served behind the scenes. As a kid, I, I served in the sound booth before I ever started teaching or preaching, before I, I even thought about that. And I loved it behind the scenes. Uh, you know, for the sound guys, for the tech guys, they're, they're really not seen or noticed until something goes wrong, right? As soon as there's something goes wrong, everybody's turned around. Like, who did that, right? And so I would come in early in the morning, unravel the wires, plug in the microphones, because you had to plug in every microphone back then. And I remember at one point, I'm running the sound for the church, and I get to choose what tape goes into the tape deck before service starts. I know I'm aging myself, right? And when the message would start, I would hit record. And we had this amazing technology. We would take that cassette and we'd put it in this machine and we put three more cassettes and it would make three more cassettes. Amazing, amazing technology. <laughs> Just to geek out about that. But for some of you, like, you do geek out about stuff like that. Can I just say, there's a place to serve when the body of Christ. And, and, and I, I just want you to understand this. When we talk about service, it, it is a spiritual ministry. It is a spiritual ministry. 
There, there is a spiritual aspect to serving. I, I think this morning of those that are serving your children this morning, especially those that are watching your toddlers and your kindergartners, okay, what they're doing this morning is a very spiritual thing. It is a spiritual thing because by their devotion to that ministry, some of you are able to come in and just sit and be at peace. Maybe this is the only time all week you get to be at peace, right? But you get to sit here and you get to to hear the word of God. And you're not thinking about whether your children are, are being cared for or ministered to. And so you can sit down and receive something that God wants to give to you. This is only possible because of the practical ministry of those who are serving your children right now. Think about the greeters that are at our door every Sunday. And maybe you come through the door and they, they hand you those notes and they, they greet you with a smile. Maybe it's a word of greeting that they give to you that just puts your heart in the right place so that you can receive something from God that you wouldn't have received otherwise. That is a spiritual activity. And so the encouragement is, if you've got ministry to do, if you've got service to do for the body of Christ, then do it. And do it with all of your heart. That is your spiritual act of worship. And then Paul says this. He says the one who teaches in his teaching. The one who teaches in his teaching. Now, the Greek word that he uses here is interesting because it implies stay within your gifting. Keep exercising that gift. Don't try to do too many things. Can I just say there is always such a need in the church for teachers that are knowledgeable of the word of God. The prophet Isaiah tells us that people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And part of the reason for the lack, I think, of the teaching gifts so often in the church is that there are very few people that will give themselves and give their lives to the study of the word of God. But Paul also says this. He says, the one who exhorts in exhortation. And so here's the distinction. Where, where the teaching gift it deals with instruction, exhortation, encourages people to practice what they've been taught. And can I just say both of those are necessary within the church. Like if you receive teaching and and you receive knowledge, but you're not exhorted to do something with that knowledge, you're just gonna become really puffed up. Let me tell you all the things that I know about, right? If I only take in but never give out, I'm gonna be full of myself. And, And so as I teach the word of God, I realize this from Sunday to Sunday, I also need to exhort you. I need to encourage you to do something with it. You see, both of those gifts things are necessary within the body of Christ. Now, there are some that have the gift of teaching. There are some people that have the gift of teaching. Maybe you know someone that can just take an idea and they can break it down. You're like, all of a sudden, man, I understand that. I don't know how, but you got a gift, right? And sometimes these individuals have the gift of exhortation as well. But there are those who I know that have the gift of exhortation. Maybe you know someone like this that can just come in and and encourage you. Like you're you're feeling down, everything's going wrong, right? You're grumbling and you're complaining and they come alongside and say, no, no, come on, let's do this. We got to go. Let's go, right? How many of you know someone with that gift of exhortation? Those are the people you want to be around, right? Or, Or even when you're trying to hide from them, they find you, those people, right? Again, if if you're taught but you're not exhorted, you're going to take in and you're going to become full of yourself. But if your gift is exhortation, that that could mean a number of things. It it means that you go and and you invite people. You're the one who rallies people. Let's go. Let's get out here to this, right? You 
urge people to, to operate in, in the will of God for their lives. If that's you and you have the gift of exhortation, can I just say you are needed in the body of Christ to encourage people to do what they've been instructed to do. Because sometimes, let's be honest, we know the right thing to do, we know what we need to do, and all we really need is someone to come along and give us a kick in the pants, right? That's the exhorter, that's the encourager. We need someone to tell us, okay, you know what you're supposed to do, now get out there and do it. And then verse eight, he mentions another spiritual gift. He says, the one who contributes in generosity. Did you know that giving is a spiritual gift? Now, I know what some of you are thinking, well, pastor, if I don't have that gift, does that mean I need to give? I don't have that gift, so do I still need to give in the offering? I would say, no, every Christian has the responsibility, okay, to give to the Lord. It's part of being a believer, okay? That's just part of obeying the word of God. But I also believe this, that there are some saints who've been given this unique ministry of giving. There are those that God just continues to pour resources into their lives, and they recognize, well, now it's my job to take those resources, and I'm going to distribute them in a significant way. Hear me, if that's the gift that God has given to you, then use it, right? And as you do that, see it as a spiritual gift. When you write that check, when you give that gift, as God leads, you are exercising your spiritual gift. And Hear me, don't ever feel guilty when somebody tells you, well, you need to get busy doing something. You're doing something in your generosity. You are functioning in your gift. There may be some of you here today that, that God's giving you that gift, right? And, and, and you haven't thought too much about it. But you can stop, and you, maybe today you'd stop and you think, man, God's given me this just ability to, to bring in resources. Then you'd have to ask the question, well, why has he given me that ability? Listen, It's not so you could just get a bigger home or a nicer car or more stuff. I would say this, you have been blessed to be a blessing. He's giving you resources so that you can further his kingdom. That is the gift of generosity or the gift of giving. It's a gift, though, that he says must be exercised liberally, okay? Because here's what I find. Someone who's called and and gifted to be a giver, when, when they step back from being generous, they'll often see their resources dried up because maybe they've forgotten the reason that God has blessed them in the first place. But then Paul talks about this next gift. It's an interesting gift. It is the gift of leadership. There's a lot of books out there today that you can read. Uh, John Maxwell writes a lot on leadership. There's a lot of ways you can improve your leadership. But here Paul's saying there's also a spiritual gift of leadership. And he says the one who leads needs to lead with zeal. The Greek word there is the word spude. And really, it means this. It means an earnestness or a diligence. Can I just say, one of the most important things for a good leader is diligence. For those of you that that God has called you to lead, you know this, that it's easy in a leadership position to become discouraged. Like, you cannot lead anything without facing discouragement from time to time. Now, looking at things from the outside, sometimes we, we look at these great leaders in the world and we only see their highlight reel. Like, we we see their lives and we say, man, everything that person touches turns to gold. But I can guarantee you this, if you look a little closer at that life of that leader, you will find there were plenty of moments of discouragement along the way. There were plenty of of failures that they had to to deal with. But what makes them a great leader is not that they didn't fail. What makes them a great leader is that when they failed and, and when they were discouraged, in the midst of those failures, it's how they learned from those failures and how they kept moving on from there. And so if you lead, 
Paul says you need to lead with diligence. In other words, you need to persevere. Sometimes you just need to keep on going. When you're leading that thing and nobody shows up, keep on going, right? And it's that diligence, it's that perseverance, it's that zeal of a leader that actually inspires others to follow. I know for myself, for my own life, I want to follow someone who's not going to quit when things get difficult, right? I want to follow someone who's going to follow through. And and so perseverance, man, that inspires me. Of course, I would say this, that the one who leads, especially in the church, first of all, needs to be led by the Holy Spirit. And finally, he says, the one who does acts of mercy, if that's your gift, he says, do it with cheerfulness. Now, you know why he says that? Because oftentimes, when you're doing acts of mercy, it can be a sacrifice to be merciful, right? It's a sacrifice because sometimes you're showing mercy to someone, you're showing mercy to someone that is very needy, right? And so it just takes this expenditure of your life to continue to show mercy. And sometimes when God calls us to show mercy to an individual who needs to receive it, we, we can do that, but we kind of resent it, right? We say, oh, man, again, right? This is kind of an interruption to my life. I got other things I got to be doing, right? And, and so it's hard sometimes to show mercy, but it's even harder to be cheerful about it. But I know there are some of you in the room today that you can just step in and you can fill a need, and you can serve someone when they're at their lowest point, and even though it takes your time, even though it takes your energy, even though it might feel like an interruption, there is this joy because you're operating in a supernatural gift of the Holy Spirit. Listen, if you cannot be cheerful while doing an act of mercy, it's probably not your gift. Now hear me, does that mean you don't need to show mercy if it's not your gift? No, again, it's like giving, right? Mercy is something that we are all called to do, and yet there are those in the church that have this spiritual gift that can just come alongside people in need in an amazing way that, that to be honest, I can't sometimes. I'm gonna be honest with you. My teaching gift says, didn't you hear what I preached on last Sunday? Just do that, right? I can't believe you didn't listen to the message. Did you even take notes, right? That's my, my teaching gift, right? Sometimes uh, maybe I'll exhort them in the right direction, but I know this, there are others in the church that are needed because they're going to come alongside and they're going to show that mercy and and they're going to come alongside them in an amazing way. And and so get this, picture this, there is this list of gifts. And again, this is not an exhaustive list. There are other gifts that are listed in other passages of scripture. But as you look at these gifts, you could say, well, Can't these gifts apply to anyone? I mean, can any of us be generous? Can any of us show mercy? Yes, we can. But the encouragement from Paul for us as believers is to find which one God has supernaturally empowered you to do, and then you go and do it. Again, this is not a complete list. But if you know your spiritual gift, he says do it. Knowing that as you do that, you are storing up for yourself eternal treasures which will not fade and cannot be stolen. And hear me today, it is when we humbly operate in the gifts that God has given to us that the body of Christ is built, built up. That's the way that the church of God should function. And so I want to encourage you today, think soberly. Think with, with sound judgment about the gift that God has given to you and then take that gift and, and use it, right? Whatever God has called you to do, just do it, right? Get involved, be active in what God has called you to. Now the hang up for some of you might be, again, well, I, I don't know what I'm called to do. 
I would say it's probably only 10 to 20% of Christians that actually know what their, their spiritual gift is or what they're called to do. And yet at the same time, I believe this, that there's not one single person that God has brought to this church that God has left out of the equation. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you are a part of this body, God has not left you out. No, there is 100% gifting in the body today. And what that means is you can't just sit back and compare yourself with somebody else's gift, right? And say, well, it's not that important. You've got to do what God has called you to do. And part of that is simply asking, man, what is the passion that God's given to me? Where where is he leading me? And I I want to jump in and I want to get busy doing that. You know, they say in any given church that it's about 10% of the people that do 100% of the work. Now, I don't think that's the case here at Grace Point. I think it's much better here at Grace Point. Much more people involved and serving. But I know this today, that we're not yet at 100% participation. And what does that mean? We're not yet 100% of who God's called us to be. Unfortunately, because we understand that the church is a body, right? And our bodies are made up so beautifully in the sense that we, we have all of these things in our body that function in different ways, and we're glad, right? We're glad that they function the way they need to function. Like when something stops functioning in your body, you know it, right? But in the body of Christ, we have lots of parts of the body that don't ever really do anything, <laughs> and yet they're a part of the body nonetheless. And so hear me, this is not judgment to say because you're not functioning in your spiritual gift, you're not a part of the body. No, you are a part of the body. And so then the exhortation becomes get involved. Use your gift. Jump in as the Lord leads you. And allow him to use you to build his church. Begin to take action in proportion to the faith that God has given to you. The last part of chapter 12, we're going to get into it next week, is full of these great exhortations that we're going to look at together. But I I want you to understand as we close today that each of these spiritual gifts, we need to understand that they take effort and and they take work, okay? That's why Paul was laying out spiritual gifts and that's why he's encouraging the church and that's why I'm encouraging you this morning. You know, there are some that think of a a spiritual gift. Well, if it's a spiritual gift, then I can just kind of hang around and one day the Holy Spirit's just gonna come upon me and it's, right? No, these gifts take work. They take stepping into. That's why Paul, again, is saying through all these verses that 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 spiritual gift that, that God has given to you Allow God to mature that gift in you. And the way he's going to mature that gift is by you serving in his church. It's as you step out and you use those giftings that the spirit of God is at work to empower you. Three benefits I want you to see today as we close that come from using your God-given gifts. There's more than this, but I'm just going to give you three today. A very important thing. Number one, I believe as you use your spiritual gift within the church, number one, you will be fruitful. You will be fruitful. Jesus said in John 15, 5, I'm the vine and you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. As you discover and you develop your spiritual gifts, you will see fruit in your life. It's a guarantee from Scripture. Number two, God will fulfill his purpose for you. Psalm 138, 7, the Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Do you believe that for your life today? God will fulfill his purpose for you. And can I just say, there is nothing more satisfying than letting God use you. God wants to do some amazing things in and through us. And when he does that, all of a sudden we experience fulfillment beyond our wildest dreams. Number three, 
God will fortify or God will strengthen his church. Ephesians 4.12 teaches that spiritual gifts are given to prepare God's people for works of service so that, here's the reason why, that the body of Christ might be built up. Can I just say a strong church is a church where there are many using their spiritual gifts. And I believe for Grace Point that we're going to be even stronger in the year ahead as even more of us put our gifts into action for God's glory. Would you stand with me? As we prepare to close today, I came across this story this week and just want to share it with you as we close. I read that when Mother Teresa visited Australia many, many years ago, the the Roman Catholic Church assigned a young man to kind of be her guide through Australia. And of course, this young man was thrilled at the prospect, like who wouldn't be thrilled about getting to hang out with Mother Teresa? But he became frustrated over time because... Though he was near her, he never had the opportunity to talk to her. She was always engaged in conversation with someone else. She was always doing something else. And, and when her time in Australia was over, she was going to head to New Guinea. And that was like her next stop on the tour, I guess. And in desperation, this young man came up with a plan. And he, he said to Mother Teresa, he said, If I pay my own fare, if I pay my own way to New Guinea, can I sit next to you on the plane so that I can talk to you? I haven't had a chance to. Can I talk to you and learn from you? And Mother Teresa looked at him and asked, do you really have enough money to pay for the airfare to New, New Guinea? And the young, young, young man said, oh yes, of course I do. Of course I do. And then she eagerly replied, then take that money and you go and you give it to the poor. And you will learn more from that action than anything that I could ever tell you. Can I just say... When you make your life a living sacrifice, when your life is holy and pleasing to God, when you give him your hands for service, you say, God, you direct my feet where to go. You give me the words to speak to someone when they need encouragement. Can I just say, when you begin to, to, to give in that way, you'll learn more from what you give out than even anything I can teach you on a Sunday morning. Anything that, that any spiritual leader can teach you is when you begin to step out and you use that gifting and you allow God to work in and through your life. You will find so often this supernatural empowerment that comes because you're operating in the gift that God has for you. So with heads bowed around the room before we close today, here's how I want you to respond. I want you to take just a moment in prayer. And maybe today you would say, I don't even know what my spiritual gift is. Well, it's a spiritual gift meaning it's a gift from the Holy Spirit. And so I think the Holy Spirit knows what it is. Maybe today you just say, God, would you just, just, just shine a light on what you're calling me to do? God, direct me. Or maybe today you know that gift. You know what he's called you to do. Maybe today you just need to ask the Holy Spirit for the power to step into that. But here's what I know. As we each operate as the members of the body of Christ that he's called us to be, that the church will be built up. And so take a moment just between you and the Lord before we sing a song and ask the worship team just to give us a moment and you do business with the Lord. Either God, show me, Holy Spirit, show me, Holy Spirit, empower me to respond.